0: Hey there friends. What is going on? Welcome to another episode of the Proving It Plant-Based podcast. I am your host, Natalie, vegan trainer, vegan coach. I'm here to talk with you guys all things plant-based diet, exercise, strength training, building overall healthy habits and lifestyle, and how to eat for your fitness goals and your future. So welcome back if it is not your first time here. Welcome if it's your first time tuning in. I have got a great episode and interview for you today. I have been so excited to put this one out there for you guys because I feel that it is so beneficial for this conversation to get out into the world. Why? Because I am sitting down with Dr. Aaron Hartman. And he is the founder of the Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine Platform, which is an in-person and online community where he really helps patients heal, you know, chronic illnesses through holistic solutions and a plant-based diet, right? So a lot of us don't have access to, you know, holistic health Right. So I sit down with Dr. Aaron Hartman today and we talk about his own personal experience and how his career really shifted into integrative and functional medicine and how he uses this approach, not only with his patients, but also with his family. Okay. So I love this conversation so much because it really is, you know, sitting down and and we talk about how lifestyle medicine can be so effective in healing whatever whatever your, you know, chronic illness might be, whether it's something small and minuscule or whether it's something, you know, larger scale, right? So, I'm going to let him take the reins on this one and he can talk about his personal experience which started in his own home with his daughter, his first foster child that he adopted. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I do. And without further ado, here is Dr. Aaron Hartman. All right, welcome, you guys. I have a special guest today on our podcast, Dr. Aaron Hartman. So, Dr. Hartman is helping people with chronic health issues through his practice. Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine to pretty much restore their health. He is board certified in family medicine and integrative and holistic medicine. So in his own life, and his own story, after adopting his first child, his career took an entirely new meaning and trajectory. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Dr. Aaron Hartman, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like it's great to be here. Thanks a lot for inviting me
1: to um, share a little bit of my story with your, your audience. It's a little bit about myself. I'm a you know you mentioned I am a board certified physician. I'm also a clinical researcher. I've got a clinical research company as well, so I have my feet in different different you know medicine research, et cetera. And what kind of pulled me down the you know food is medicine, functional medicine route was actually adopting our first daughter back in 2007 2008. She um, she has cerebral palsy. And my wife actually, who is an occupational therapist, was one of her therapists that started taking care of her as soon as she got out of the hospital. And when she was about a year old, her foster care was shutting down. And my wife was like, Hey, you want to bring this little girl into our house? And me being a guy, I was like, sure, we can always give her back, you know? And (laughs) I I say that because that's actually how I was thinking back, back that long ago, you know, it's crazy how, you know, you know, how your brain thinks, but, um, we adopted, I fell in love with her. We, um, we, we brought her in our foster home, um, fell in love with her, adopted her, roughly in that order. And um, one of the first obstacles we ran into was feeding issues. She was small for her weight. So um, your kids with CP grow differently than you know, typical children. They have much less muscle mass. And you want to make sure kids are eating appropriately so their brains can develop, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the pediatric GI doctor was saying that our daughter was too small. And the recommendation was to put a feeding tube is in, which is where you cut a hole in the stomach, put a plastic tube in and you can bypass the mouth, bypass the swallowing, just pour formula right in. And the idea is to pack on the pounds. And, um, you know, talking with my wife and just thinking things through, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. You know, we, our goal was for our daughter to crawl, for her to learn how to talk, to walk, and, and even just chewing, chewing and swallowing develops lots of your muscles you need for speech. It just didn't feel right. So we decided not to do that. And about six months later, my wife found a pediatric growth chart with kids with CP, and she was right in the middle. And so that was the first of the, my first aha moment. Wait a second, the expert didn't know this chart existed and took, took a parent that was motivated, educated to find this and find out my daughter actually was average for, a kid, for kids with CP. And so we kind of veered off that path. Well, I mean, we got a little crazy, started making homemade formula, which is really interesting. People have been trying to make formulas since the 1800s in Germany. Actually, when they started making synthetic formula, and the result was a lot of kids with nutritional issues because they thought it was all about calories. They didn't realize there was minerals, and then they um, started making changing the formula around the 40s and 50s, but didn't know about fatty acids like you know omega-3s for brain health. So it's just amazing how we've been trying to create you know perfect food for kids for hundreds of years, and nothing's as real as the real thing and nothing's as good as a real thing and that's part of our journey with functional medicine and realizing food is medicine and it's amazing how important getting real food at different stages of your life what you need changes and so that kind of started my trajectory you know um, I started learning using some of the things I was learning with patients started seeing pretty good results with them and then um, in 2016 opened up a new practice which is Richmond integrated functional medicine where I've been using what I've been learning over the last you know, 15, 20 years and, and applying it to complex, difficult, um, patient patients.
0: So. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that, you know, adopting your daughter kind of started you out on this journey and you decided in that point in time that you were going to do whatever was best for her. And if that meant learning a totally new and different approach, then that's what you were going to do. And I talk a lot on my podcast about you know, my own family, um, cause I have a daughter, one year old, and we are trying to raise her, you know, as mostly vegan. And it's been a struggle trying to find the right formula. And there's just, there's not a ton out there, unfortunately. So, you know, to be able to kind of take things on yourself and it might be a little bit more work in the beginning, but you know, deep down, you know, what's best. So. Well, it's also different now because back in 2006,
1: 2007, you know, something as simple as, you know, real milk was super hard to get a hold of, you know, finding local foods, local sourced items was super hard to do. You finding find a high quality omega-3s, fish oil, flax oil, because they're all heat processed and all made rancid. Just finding something as simple as a good omega-3, omega-6 source was a lot, lot harder you know, right. plus years ago than it is now. And you're and you're going through a struggle now trying how can you do that stuff right it's just like i'm looking forward to what it looks like 15 years from now how hopefully right. easier it is for anybody anywhere in the country to find really good quality food for their um for their health
0: yeah there's a lot of hope because as we move further along and you know even things like this where we're talking about this openly and educating people and that way you know they're more informed to make those decisions and have access to that more readily available, uh, vitamins and, and nutrients that, that they need to grow strong. So tell me how old is your daughter now? And I know you have other kids as well.
1: Yeah. Well, we've got three kids. moldus is 15 Anna's 15. Then we have, um, 14 and, uh, 10 soon to be 11 year old. And we adopted all of our kids. They all came from, um, challenging situations to say the least. And, um, you know, they've they've all, you know, our son, when he got him, when he was six months old, he had really bad um, asthma and eczema. He actually was breathing so poorly that my wife would sleep with him on her chest because she was scared he'd stop breathing in the middle of the night. And yeah, so it's, it's amazing what um, growing up in a smoking environment with donut holes is not the best diet for a six-month-old, right? And it's amazing how giving him the right place, the right stuff, putting him in the right environment, um, within six months, is, his, his asthma was mostly cleared up and, and within about two years of skin um was mostly cleared up so it's just um they've all that you know, it's all been struggling my wife had her own health issues you know i was talking with her last week and she was reminding me she had toxic shock syndrome for a year oh and i'm like I forget about that you did have that problem for about a year didn't you you know so it's just like you know um i kind of joke i'm the one healthy one among us because someone's got to like keep, you know keep <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we've all got our issues. You look deep enough, if you do a deep enough dive, you know, when I got into functional medicine, one of the things I started doing is fancy lab testing on myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized, wow, I feel pretty good, but the labs say, if I don't do anything, do something, I'm gonna have issues in a couple of years. You know? So it's, um, you start looking at data, like 80, 83% of the population um, with skin of color has a vitamin D deficiency. 40% of Americans over 65 have a zinc deficiency we start seeing data that anywhere from 40 to 60% of Americans have had a B vitamin deficiency and there's many B vitamins. All of a sudden you realize we all have some kind of deficiency or insufficiency in something. And um, the primary way to get a lot of these things is primarily through food. And then after that, through
0: appropriate supplementation as needed. You
1: know,
0: Right. It's good to know your numbers. It's good to have that blood work done yeah. on a regular basis so that you can really see that. And especially with a Vegan or plant-based diet. I think that's um, a common misconception that we're then going to be deficient in certain things. So tell me, how are vitamin deficiencies, you know, aiding in in chronic health issues in general? And what can people do? You know, what are some of the kinds of foods that they can eat to help with those vitamin deficiencies that you just mentioned?
1: Well, I think part of the first misconsumption misperception. <clears throat> I was thinking only in terms of severe nutrient deficiencies. You know, back in the day, vitamin deficiency, D, C deficiency was known as scurvy, right? Your, your gums would bleed, you'd have poor connective tissue, kids would die young, you know, um, rickets with vitamin D deficiency, kids would have mal you know, malshaped bones and stuff. And so today we're not seeing that extreme level. We're seeing low level deficiencies in multiple things. You know, I think a lot of people forget you know, in 1900, there was actually um, corn was banned from France because of a nutrient deficiency in thymine induced in that, in that, by that. And so kids were being born with cretinism and, and these all kinds of weird malformations. And so it's interesting how something that the Aztecs ate for millennia and they ground it on limestone which help extract these B vitamins, right? Just something as simple as processing a natural food can change its nutrient density. And so, you know, I think that what I'm seeing now is like multiple nutrient deficiencies, but low level, like a little bit of B, a little bit of D, a little bit of E. Um, you know, you will have people with severe deficiencies, like folic acid and B12. But I see lots of people with lots of fit deficiencies, even omega, even um, fatty acids, omega threes and sixes. You know, you talk about plant-based diet. You know, there was a while where we were, we were removing all fats from our diet, right? Low fat, everything. And the thing is 80% of your brain is actually made out of fat, you know, mm-hmm. as a female, you know, you know, female hormones, male hormones come from cholesterol. Right. And so it's interesting. I do testing on people to see people with low fatty acids, low omega threes, low omega sixes. And so I see all kinds of deficiencies across the spectrum. I, I, I don't want to say never, cause you know, there's nothing, nothing is always hundred percent. Right. But I, <laughs> it's, it's, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that i've seen i've done testing on that everything is fine and so i see a lot of low level de- deficiencies insufficiencies and in people that you know have mild issues up to severe illnesses and I, I think to your point you said before testing is key knowing your numbers are key because if you just base it on you know my nails are funny so i've got zinc and selenium deficiency or i've got ridges in my fingers so i got protein deficiency or my skin's dry so maybe i'm lacking some omega sixes that's like late stage stuff. By the time you start losing your hair or it's thin from, you know, protein, you know, mal, mal, um, malabsorption syndromes or whatever, that's pretty late. It's better to pick up the stuff early so you can change your trajectory. And that's where I think testing is huge. Um, and it's interesting how much of our deficiencies currently in America are based on our processed food diet. 80% of what Americans eat is processed. people don't realize processing removes nutrients that you got to do something to food to make it last on a shelf for several years right right absolutely it's not not supposed to last that long you know
0: yes and i and i wanted to actually get into that just talking about processed foods in general and i think that so often we think okay well potato chips come from potatoes so there's some You know vegetable in there but that's really not the case because like you mentioned as we break this food down more and more it's losing all nutrient density whatsoever to becoming something that's really just empty calories so tell me about um you know how eating processed food can directly relate to these chronic illnesses well well, you know i'm just going a few statistics
1: right and this is from the harvard school of public health that 80% of heart disease and 70% of cancer can be prevented by diet and lifestyle alone. And some data from the University of Florida that half of all chronic disease in our country can be directly attributed to eating processed foods. So, so what is it, what's, what's it about, about these processed foods? So the first thing is, is when you take um, on you know, milk, for example, you take milk and you homogenize, you heat it, you pasteurize, you remove the fat, you know, you're moving the, the major source of vitamin A, D, E, and K, and most of those fatty acids and actually some omega sixes that you actually need for developing, developing bodies. Um, when you take wheat, you process wheat, you move most of the B vitamins, you move most of the magnesium, most of the potassium, and you're left with plain, like you said, plain carbohydrates. And when you burn carbs, your body needs nutrients to process that. So you're eating nutrient lacking food your body has nutrients sucked out of it to process that. So it's almost like this lose-lose situation where you eat poor quality food and it zaps the nutrition out of your body. And, um, and like the, it's not just, but it's not just the processing the food. It's also the chemicals put in the food. People forget, you know, I have these debates with people, you know, what's so bad about, you know, gluten or wheat, for example, is it, is it because it's hybridized and it's, you know, it's totally changed. Is it because it's sprayed with glyphosate, you know, which is actually, um, God's patent as an antibiotic, and it's mostly actually petroleum distillate. So you're consuming petroleum products in this, you know, is it on um, the food, um, the food enhancers that are put into the, the wheat that actually help it go through the machinery really easy. Is it, the, um, the they put a chemical in it actually to make it um, rise quicker. So it, you'll, you'll ferment in three to four hours versus 24 hours, which is a typical fermentation process. And so I think as you dive into it, there's a lot of stuff done to food so it can get on a shelf, you know? And then minus all of that, then there's the fats in food, the omega-3s, the omega-6s, your omega nines. You know, not you know, natural oils have a have a shelf life. You know, if you get really good quality olive oil, after about a year it starts oxidizing, you know, maybe 18 months, right? When you take a canola oil, a soy oil, and you um process it, you heat extract it, you use a hexane solvent extraction process to de- deodorize it, you create an oil that can last for years and years on the shelf. Well, now you use that in the food processing. And, and one of the problems with that is, is that it's partially plasticized lipids or oils. So when you think about margarine, you think about it used to be a liquid, now it's semi-solid. You know? Well, that's what happens with oil from the ground when you make plastic You know, computers and things. You take something that's liquid, you make it solid. And we take li- lipids or oils and do that. They become rigid in our body's cells. And that affects hormone function, it affects neurotransmitters, it affects di- all these things. So... Food is, food is not just information and not just um, medicine. Food is very complex. And when we, when we reduce it to its simple constituents and say, here you go, we're losing all that complexity. And we're just now learning about, you know, micro um, RNA that are information in plants. We're just now learning about how the chemicals in plants actually change our DNA expression. And when you heat foods and process foods, you destroy almost all of that. And that's something that we're just now learning about that we didn't, I didn't know about when I was in medical school in 1996. We didn't even talk about that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point and actually brings me to a, a question. You know, back when you were in medical school and and how your career has evolved and, and how it's taken shape, you know, back then, are they giving you any kind of information on food as medicine or or any kind of, nutritional recommendations? Uh, back then, no. I, I specifically remember one of our, the cardiologists and my
1: professors lecturing us about how diet didn't matter. And um, you know, I'm, I'm an old, you know, I'm not sure if this is, this is dating me or not, but I'm, I'm an old kind of old school Arnold Schwarzenegger fan from back in the day with all those movies and stuff. And I was just, this popped up on YouTube phone, like just you know, things randomly pop up. And there was a video of him in the seventies talking about his diet okay so this is a professional athlete in the 70s he's like no sugar no processed food really like in depth about what he eats to maximize the efficiency of his workouts and i'm thinking this was the late 70s i went to medical school in 96 you know 20 years later almost and was told i didn't know what he knew in the 70s and it's like sometimes there's this big disconnect between high performance athletes and medical care and that that kind of another eye opener, like, wow, like, you know, what else do I not know? What else do I have to dig and find out for myself? That, those kind of like factors that I learned just drive me to study and learn more because the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know that much.
0: There's a lot, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of, you know, some of that information is true and is great and some of it is misleading. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's really important. Like you just mentioned, there was a disconnect between the, you know, peak performing athletes and the average person when the ones who actually need the health guidance the most is the average person. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that, you know, I think we're getting there, but that even more so back then we were just taught there's no connection between diet and and mm-hmm. health. And, you know, you can only do so much, right? Especially if you have a genetic predisposition um, that your genes are kind of made up of what they are and you can't do anything about it. So uh, talk to me a little bit about um, your, your belief in reversing genetic makeup. Um, how big of a role do our genes play in our risk of disease?
1: Well, that, that's a great, great question because, you know, again, when I was in school, I was told your genes are who you are is a very reductionistic way of thinking and so this is this is your program and the program's gonna play out it was very you know fatalistic in a certain a certain way you know couldn't you think about it you know 80 percent of diseases were genetically imprinted well now we think that maybe five to ten percent of genes are genetic everything else is environmental and this is a whole field of epigenetics which is epi means upon or a top of so it's basically on top of the genes and now we're learning that actually your genes don't necessarily make who you your, it's the environment that cuts genes on and off. You know, when the Human, uh, human Genome Project was done back about 2000-ish, you know, there was high hopes of, you know, reversing diseases and immortality and curing cancer. And we found out that humans have, you know, maybe 23,000 genes. There are frogs that have 50 and 60,000 genes. There are literally frogs, nematodes, that are more genetically complex than you. Yet you think, yet you plan for the future, yet you... You get education, you have a podcast, you do all these things. And why are you so much more complicated? And we're learning that there's a million genes in the bacteria in your gut. And now we've learned about this whole thing about the human virome. It's the viruses. We actually, there's a lot of healthy viruses that, um, that modulate our immune system, that get us prepared. So when we expose to outside viruses, our immune system will just ignore them. You know, it's really interesting when you do these like blood smears, you can actually see back, you know, that when you brush your teeth, you get small amounts of bacteria in your blood every time you brush your teeth. You know, it's, it's really kind of, yeah, kind of interesting stuff. Like our immune system ignores it, filters it out and we're done. And so what we found out is the genes are important, but you know, for example, in 1950, if you had the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene for breast cancer, your risk for breast cancer was 20%. Now with those genes is 80%. If genes were so determinative, you wouldn't have not seen a 400% increased risk in a genetic Thing. And we'll realize it's the environment. What, what the environment, what environment bays the genes, what chemicals, what stressors, you know, there's things called, um, some adverse childhood events or ACEs. These, these traumas in childhood can actually increase your risk for adult illness. That's an environmental factor. Um, you know, nutritional wise, you're know, having nutrient deficiencies and B vitamins like folic acid, for example, if you have an MTHFR mutation can increase your risk for, um, cancers, um, Alzheimer's, infertility stuff, but the fix is getting enough of that um methylfolic acid, right? And so what we've learned is actually the genetic predeterminism is not the case. But like anything, it's been it's been kind of hammered down our throats for such a long time. It's hard to reverse that thinking, realize your environment actually can change genetic expression. Another another interesting statistic, you know, if you're if you have breast cancer and you're diagnosed and treated, And if you were to do some kind of like ketogenic type diet, you lower your risk of breast cancer recurrence 25%. So that's amazing. How come that's not being recommended by every oncologist to their female breast cancer patients after diagnosis? And it's it's just, again, that big disconnect that takes, you know, we'll be there in 10 or 20 years. It takes about 15 or 20 years for medical research to become the standard of care. That's where I think a lot of people don't realize that these articles come out, they have to be, they, they're published Then people have to think about them. We compare, it's a process. It's a debate in the science of the world. Every time an article comes out, you know, does that change how we practice medicine? That takes a while, it takes a long while for that. And that's where the newest advances, sometimes by the time they actually are implemented, they're now old information.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. It, it takes a long time, but we're getting there. And I asked that question because I, I know you just mentioned the BRCA gene and I was recently uh, tested positive for that. And so I now have this increased risk and I'm a firm believer. I was vegan far before I knew about this, but like you, I use my own personal experience to say, okay, well, what am I in control of? And how can I even lessen that risk even more, right? So it's a high risk. I just had my first surgery, but it's like, you know, we have modern medicine, but we also have alternative medicine. So that way we can work together to just really, really know the facts, know the statistics and give ourselves the best chance. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you work with, patients where you combine both modern and alternative?
1: Well I think in the fun, you know in the functional medicine world um, what we do is we come in we get a complete history so we find you know where you're born where you grew up it's called the, the timeline so we learn about your past because you are it's not you're not just the present you're a your culmination of all your past experiences where you've lived if you've lived in a moldy house if you had silver fillings if you've had root canals chronic teeth infections if you've had chronic bowel issues that affect nutrient absorption. So you get all this, if you had concussions, head injuries, all these things can affect your immune system and your risk for, for illnesses in the future. So you take the person's history and you get these this in the matrix. Um, then you take what the major, what's the major thing we're dealing with right now with you, okay? And then based on that, we do comprehensive nutritional evaluation. You know, one of the, one of the things in functional medicine is you wanna take away what's hurting your body, give it what's lacking and allow it to heal. And that's a very simple concept, but it's very much true. You know, what are you lacking? That's where nutritional testing comes into play. What, you know, minerals, vitamins, um, D, you know, vitamin D, you know, low vitamin D is associated with increased risk for epithelial cell cancers like breast, prostate, ovarian. So, you know, if someone has any any concern about, you know, any of those cancers at all, you want your D between 16 and 80, right? Checking your levels, you know, checking trace minerals, vitamin C, you know. NAC and you'll seal cysteine is a supplement that actually helps boost glutathione. So doing some nutritional analysis, then doing toxin analysis, heavy metals are very, very common. The, um, ATSDR, which is actually a, um, a arm of the, um, the, um, the EPA actually has like this whole, this toxic list of things they're worried about. And the very number one, the to- that list is arsenic, which is associated with cancer, diabetes, a whole host of things. And 20% of all the water, and our country is contaminated with arsenic. And so other chemicals and toxins in these people's body, we need to, need to either remove the source or if it's a past source, we need to help your body detoxify. So that's kind of how we, we take the past, the present, we do testing and then we figure out, you know, a, a program with the patient. And I kind of tell them it's, it's also a work in progress because the ultimate, you know, test is that one-on-one, you are your own test tube, so to speak. So as you start doing interventions and you file your labs, your body's way more complicated than anything your body's smarter than i am <laughs> and so how's your body respond to stuff and so then you see well your body you give someone folic acid and they feel terrible and awful you're like oh well, they've got this gene they need hydroxycobalamin not folic acid right and then you, you give them that one all oh, now your homocysteine comes down okay and it's just a work in progress and sometimes it takes a year or two to kind of walk through some of these things and even to find out environmental triggers you know it's it's amazing how many chemical yeah, there's over 80,000 chemicals in the environment right now. The EPA is like, has, has, is watching and only about two to 3,000 have been tested for safety. It's just so much stuff out there. And just, if you have any risk for any disease at all, just being aware of that and making your environment as clean as possible. And we go through all these principles, individualize it for the patient. And then we just kind of, you know, go forward and see how things go. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun, but it's also challenging for people because we all live in the real world. We have real lives and real families and real responsibilities. Is and, you know, it makes it hard sometimes to implement, um, implement changes with all these things.
0: Absolutely. And it sounds like it's, you know, like you said, the body is very complex and you're working through these things together. So it can be a lot of change at once. So to have that on top of your lifestyle, um, uh, I, I find working with clients that change can be the hardest thing, but I'm sure that with your patients, their willingness in, in working with you and coming forward and saying, I need help. And, you know, just being open to that is definitely step one. So that's really the best thing um, possible. So for someone with a, diagnosed with a chronic illness, um, what steps can they take specifically? And I'm sure every situation is different, uh, quote unquote, to unwind their illness. And, you know,
1: the different different way, I think if you asked me this question, you know, a different time this week or next week, I'd answer <laughs> it differently, right? I'm actually putting together a course on detoxification for our community. So right now it's in front of my head right now, but, you know, detoxification is huge. Um, you know, clean water, clean food, clean air, clean environment. All of a sudden, hey, clean food. What does clean food mean, right? That's all of a sudden all the, you know, I, I say organic, but that's like the lowest hanging fruit. You probably know it. That's, that's the entry level. You know, that's not the the best type of, but that's, that's kind of an entry level of how to start eating cleaner, clean water, clean food environment, and then helping your body to detoxify, you know, which usually means then finding out what nutrients you are deficient in, fixing those your body can clean itself up a better. So I kind of right now, because of where I'm at with some of my, some of our community stuff, I would just say detoxification, clean water, clean food, clean air, clean environment. That's a great starting point. And, um, you can pick and pick any one of those areas that you feel comfortable, like, Hey, I, I think i'm ready to tackle this you know what does it mean to eat clean food yeah um clean air where's clean air mean you know people don't realize <laughs> how filthy the air in buildings is you know um particulates pm 2.5 which are these little microparticulates in the air that can cause lung inflammation and affect your immune system actually there's data from NOAA that inhaled microparticles can increase your risk for um cardiovascular heart disease and alzheimer's right so you know air is important water is important you know and then one the last ones clean relationships, you know, are you around toxic people? Are you around people who, um, are chronic stressors, you know, you know, we, we were, we were made or designed, or how do you want to say it for relationship or relational organisms, you know, and, and the people you surround yourself with have a massive impact on your outlook on life, you know, how you deal with stressors and actually when you have a stressor, or a life event, how do you actually get through that on um, better on the backside than on the front side? And that requires a lot of support, you know?
0: Absolutely. We talk a lot on this podcast about how stress can be such a huge factor on, you know, when it comes to eating, when it comes to just managing everyday life and and, and exercise. And just, it's just another piece of the package of, of really being mindful about how you take care of yourself. So you talked about clean water, clean food, clean air, clean relationships. Now, I'm curious because I, I truly try my best, but it can definitely be overwhelming to think, okay, you know, how clean is my water? Okay, well, I, you know, I use a Brita, I try to do that. I try to like buy you know, the best quality water, but what does that mean? And, and how can someone start to put to practice the things that you just mentioned today? Yeah. Well, so actually
1: I did a little blog series of kind of walking through each one of these things and, and with some resources. So like with water, for example, I'm a big fan of testing the water, right? Take your water, send it off to NTL labs. They'll actually tell you what's in your water based on where you live in the country. If you live in the Midwest, um, you probably want to check off for a lot more, more pesticide runoff. If you live in Colorado area, there's actually a lot more uranium or yeah, there's actually um, testing for more radioactive materials in the water. Test. You know, some people don't want to test, but if you really, really want to know that's, you know, it's a $200 test. It's, it's worth worth the money. Um, you know, once you do that, you know, or if you don't do that, you know, getting a high quality filter, you know, it's, you know, the Brit is a decent one. I personally use that, but we have a Berkey, British Berkey, which is a stainless steel filter to filter the water out. We, we actually live out in, a, in the country. We have a farm and so we have a whole house water filtration thing on know That's sometimes outside the reach for a lot of people, but you know, you want to get really good quality water and that's we're getting educated huge the um, environmental working group actually has a great a uh, water tap database you can type in your um, zip code where you live and it'll tell you what are the common chemicals in your municipality water and it's amazing to see what's in people's water yeah. at least you know around around where i live in virginia and that's there's a lot of resources as well from the environmental working group but just being you got to be educated we talk about clean water but once people think oh i drink bottled water well, about a quarter of all bottled water comes from some city municipality somewhere. So maybe not the best, you know, while I'm doing sparkling mineral water, well, there's a lot of mineral waters that have chemicals in it based on where they're coming from. So you have to, it's, just, it's a process and you, it's, it's kind of crazy. You have to s- source everything. You really do have to find where, where you com- where, what you put in your mouth is coming from. It's, it's kind of sad to be honest with you. You have to be that diligent about things these days, but um, with the water, that's how I kind of address the water stuff. And um, with our, we live in a well, so I tend to check our water every year to make sure things are okay, because um, environmental things can affect, you know, water table levels can affect the quality of your water. But just starting somewhere, I've, I've, and because it's such a big thing, I've done a, a blog series on it and kind of put these steps out one, two, three, four, and five for people to walk through, because it's hard, you know. Um, you think something like clean water is simple, then you realize, well, maybe it's not. Then it's like, the, you know, for women, for example, with, with breast cancer, there are these things called neuroendocrine disruptors, which are chemicals that act like hormones, Well, plastics are actually full of these things. So all of a sudden, not drinking out plastic containers you know, is a big deal. Not taking heated um, water and putting it in the plastic container and drinking out. Not microwaving stuff, superheating it and having the plastics leach out of you know, those things into your food or beverage or drinking. So it, it can get really, really granular and overwhelming which is the reason why having people that can help walk you through this can be helpful because wherever you've been, someone's been there before, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think like all these points that you're mentioning, it's just being really intentional and mindful. There are things that we don't even think about in our day-to-day, right? You're gonna heat something up in a Tupperware container in the microwave, or you're drinking out of a plastic water bottle. And the unfortunate part is for the average person, I would say, more often than not, that sense of overwhelm starts to creep in. Um, you know, I've had this conversation with my mom who, who is undergoing breast cancer treatment and like, you know, it would be great if we could cut back on the meat a little bit, or we could cut back here and there. And she brings up the water bottles. So it's like, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another thing. And that feeling of overwhelm can just feel, like so much at once so many factors that we are not in control over but like you mentioned starting small starting to be more aware of those little things that that we can do having that clean water thinking about the toxic relationships so now talking about food and you mentioned organic food is kind of like the lowest hanging fruit so so what's the next step well i mean there's different like
1: certifications, whether it's um, biodynamic, you know, that you can go to the store and buy, you know. Um, I think be kick was the term down in South America when we'd buy stuff down there, but you really want to source individually. Like if you get, um, you know, apples are a great example. Apples, you know, I, I remember being at Whole Foods a couple of years ago and they're like, all of our apples have natural coatings on them, right? And they had a list of all the natural coatings and petroleum was one of the natural coatings. You know, is that something you want to put in your body? Right. probably not. It's so like, you know, finding, sourcing things, that's where local farmers markets are huge here in Virginia, we have a, um, a co-op called fall line farms. So you can actually buy from the local farmers, but even then making sure, Hey, how do you, you know, how do you raise your strawberries? You know, there's low straight, there's low spray strawberries and then there's organic, you know, and, um, you know, getting that level of granularity with things, but, you know, sourcing things locally is helpful because then you're getting the most nutrient dense food. You know, that's another thing. People don't, don't talk about equally, eating locally, your body's needs change seasonally. You need more, you need more protein and fat to keep your body warm in the winter time than the summertime. You know, you, it says you need more. Um, it's interesting the spring when coming out in the winter, all the things that are growing are the microgreens are crazy nutrient dense, you know, maybe, nature is like you should detoxify after the winter right it's interesting how these things cycle naturally um and so eating locally um thinking globally which is crazy you know thank you people for that before but getting local is is huge and then for things you can't get local find good sources you know i put together a guide for all my patients that we have costco for example if they have probably the best priced um alaskan salmon anywhere you can get and it's frozen it comes in, if you want salmon they're good quality a wild called salmon that's a great place they have good prices on um, european cheeses and organic berries and you kind of find your local place for it you know with our milk we get ours from a local um our local um farm it's actually that's raw milk you know it's um and, and that's milk is tricky because if you, it's crazy one thing about animal animal based products is that they concentrate all the chemicals they're exposed to Mm-hmm. So a cow that's given grains full of glyphosate, that's given a kind of growth hormone, and they're going to concentrate that in the meat, meat and the milk. And so if you can't find a good source for it, you really probably shouldn't be consuming it because it, you know, those animals concentrate that stuff in their bodies. And so sourcing things like that, you know, finding things locally, um, and then you know, and being aware of growing, having a little garden in your backyard, growing your own tomato plants, your own basic stuff, getting involved itself. In we just got, we just got actually some beehives. Um, this past week stuff in the backside because i'm like it kind of cool have some honey you know we got oh, yeah. we got our pasture we got our chickens we got you know, our little orchard stuff and it's like we, i think we should um do some bees right and it's just and everybody doesn't have to have a farm but you can you, anybody can grow a tomato plant in the backyard you know anybody can have a miniature um, strawberry patch or you know small little you know raised bed garden just be more engaged with your food and where it comes from i think you know Joe Salton, who's a local organic farmer here in Virginia, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Joe Salton or not. He's written a couple of good books, but he talks about kids coming out to his farm, getting off a bus and going, where's the salsa tree? And it's like that disconnect that, wait a second, that that thing in the bottle, salsa, doesn't right. grow on a tree. Like I, I feel like just understanding more where our food comes from makes us more aware. And then the next step is easier. I think a lot of people are like, you know, it's so hard. It's like, you know, you look at the first time a baby tries to walk. You see the frustration in their eyes. You see the anger. You see the disappointment. They fall down. They're so frustrated. And what do you do? You say, dumb baby, you can't walk. No. You say, it's, you got this. You got this. You got this. You know, and they eventually walk kind of wobbly. And, and and one day they're you know really amazing athletes, you know, years and years and decades later. And that's where these, these changes are hard at first. They're frustrating and um, it's easy to give up because it's it's totally different. It's against, it's swimming upstream. It's against the culture. It's against all the media and all the messaging. Um, you've been told it's not that big of a deal and it is. And so that's where it's just getting through
0: that frustration stage. And then um, it gets easier as you do it more and more. For sure. And right, you mentioned, you know, our, our culture. I think that we we're just so go, go, go all the time that the thought of, you know, Okay, like, like I live in this city, I live in Boston. And I, you know, my husband and I have been talking about it. We've had uh, little outdoor potted plants before. We've grown peppers, we've grown cucumber tomatoes. And um, it's one of those things where it's like, it's fun. It, you know, you got to start somewhere, you got to do it and you got to nurture it and let it grow. And then finally you might reap the benefits of, of the actual food. Um, but there's something so valuable in taking care of something, watching it grow, knowing where it comes from, and then cooking it yourself, putting that love into it, and having that appreciation for the food that we're eating. Versus, oh, I don't have any time, so uh, we're gonna do takeout again, or you know, the fast food drive-through is like this, and and especially with kids too. My daughter's not at the age where. You know she understands fast food or anything but i'm sure we're going to get there one day where i have to explain to her that just because a fast food meal comes with a toy doesn't mean that we should participate in that so it, it's fighting against the grain yeah well i'll definitely say i would encourage you with young kids because
1: our, our kids are 15 14 and just getting to turn 11 now and they're at the stage they kind of get now like all these years of like our heads against the wall and fighting them fine now my daughters are at the stage like wait a second if i don't eat good Mm. i have a heavy painful period yeah and now clicks my son's like yeah if i get into all this dairy i get all this rash on my face you Mm. know it starts breaking back out again it's like they've actually got the point now they realize cause and effect you know it's almost like elimination diet people do elimination diets right and like and they start reintroducing foods like oh my gosh i had no idea i was reacting with all this stuff it's like they take stuff out enough to get their body healthy enough as they start reintroducing things, they, their immune system starts reacting with it. And so we've, our, after years and years and years, over a decade, you know, with our kids, they're at the stage now where they're starting it's starting It's just now starting to sink in. And so it's, but it's hard that first, first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. It's if you give up
0: year six, you don't get the benefits at year 10. Right. And so it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But it's amazing that your kids are learning that at such a young age and seeing the cause and effect of well if i do this i'm going to feel a certain way or or this happens and it you know making that determination that something might not be so good for you even if even though it tastes good yeah. so that's awesome so you think of course healthy living is a possibility for everyone but do we value our health enough to make it a priority? Do you feel like it's a possibility for everyone? And, and what have you found in your own work?
1: I, mean, I think it's absolutely possible. Is it a possibility for everyone? Absolutely. You know, but it's, you know, if you look at the, the amount of money Americans spend on food versus the rest of the world, we spend about 10, 10, maybe 12% of our of our disposable income on food. You go to other places in the world, they're spending 40% of the disposable income. You know, just imagining tripling your, your food bill. You know, do you value your food that much? You know, now the other places in the world, they're not like us, they don't have the options and that, and, that, and that part of the reason they spend so much money is because they're so poor and I get all those nuances. But even in Europe, they spend a lot more money on food in Europe than we do do here. And so I think the first thing is like realizing it's absolutely possible. Does individual value it enough? Do people really, and that's a process. You have to re, You have to first realize that actually food is medicine that I am what I eat, you know, you know, Germany cricket was right. You know, you are what you eat from your head down to your feet. It does make a difference. Um, it's an educational process because you're literally going against all the messaging, all the restaurants, fast food, you go in the grocery store, right. You know, and you got this massive store and I literally have a three or four hours of that shop from the entire store. Right. Like It's like you're fighting against that you're fighting against all the fast food restaurants, all the restaurants, you know, you're fighting against, um, the rush, 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 go go go! Immediacy of our culture—that's like I want a great meal now. It's like, well, if you want a really great meal, you got to get the to source the food, you got to get the right spices, you got to cook it, you got to prepare it, and um, and then learning how to cook. I mean, most of us don't know how to cook. We don't, you know, people think cooking is putting something in a microwave and hitting the hitting the button. It's actually a little little more than that. So if, it's absolutely possible, but it's a struggle. People have to um value it. Um, people have to you know really feel like it actually matters and that's where i think it's it's very counter-cultural right now to to make a big deal about um
0: what we put in our bodies and a lot of times we don't value it until it really matters <clears throat> yeah i will see sick
1: people that are coming to see me i'm the fifth or sixth or seventh doctor they've seen um okay. really sick and that's talking talk about their diet and, then, and it's like why are you healthy and you start talking to them it's like well, you know, it's healthy rice and it's like healthy grains. And you start talking, you're like, these are empty carbs. Like where's your nutrient dense foods? Where's your fresh fruits and vegetables? You know, where are your healthy orals? And like, well, it's lean meat. I'm like, it's lean chicken that, you know it's really interesting, you know um, if you take chicken and culture it from the store it grows E. coli. <laughs> like, it, you know, women with current with recurrent UTIs if you can't figure out where it's coming from you're young, younger female. There's an interesting study looking at a good association with chicken consumption and UTI. So why is that? Because there's so much E. coli growing on the chicken, even after it's been bleached, right? Like, like that knowledge, like it's just and then believing that, believing that I'm not just some crazy guy with some crazy statistic. Like, you no, know, these are actual, you know, PubMed articles you can find. You know, um, and then trying to make the changes slowly. I feel like that's just you're just fighting against all the messaging and it's hard. You know.
0: Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Absolutely. So to wrap this up, I have one final question for you to kind of bring it back full circle and talk about your daughter and and of course, um, what was the single best intervention um, that kind of changed the trajectory of her health? The single obviously baby, she's thriving now.
1: Yeah, yeah. The thing, the single. I mean, we still have work to do. I mean, she is walking with forearm crutches. You know what yeah. she wasn't supposed to walk ever, and wow. she walks, and she was never supposed to talk and she loves playing card games, you know, it's, um, yeah, she, but the single biggest intervention was actually the food we gave her, you know, um, re, um, realizing that real food made a difference. And as I studied and learned, I learned the importance of first of real food, then real fats, nutrient-dense foods, um, starting to use lipids as medicine, you know, people thought food is a mess. We use lipids, healthy fats and orals as medicine, um, um, nutrient-dense foods, mineral-dense foods. That was the biggest intervention with all of our kids that made the biggest difference was removing the bad food and putting good food in. You now we use all kinds of fancy testing and we took our daughter to Canada and did your know, pons therapy up at um with a clinic up there which is something that's only being used over in Russia for kids with CP. We've done IV nutritional therapy with her, pulse electromagnetic field therapy which they use over in Eastern Europe for kids with special needs. We did all kinds of stuff, right? The biggest thing that made the biggest leap forward was actually
0: um diet. That's incredible. Well, I love so much what you are doing and thank you so much for sharing all this incredible information with us today. So for those listeners who want to connect deeper with you who are really interested in what you're doing, where can they find you? They can find me at our website, which is richmondfunctionalmedicine.com.
1: Just Google that, put my name in there. It'll come right up. Um, I've got, you know, a whole bunch of educational resources there for people, some food plans from the Institute for Functional Medicine, I have a community that I put together to give people a place they can come get classes taught, um, communicate with each other. And I kind of oversee that whole thing. So just got a lot of great resources for people on the start of the journey. There's even a reading list on books, you know, um, books, people can read that if they want to learn more about this from, from vetted high quality
0: authors. You know, I've got a reading list there for people as well to look at, so. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate your time today, and, and this has been such a pleasure. Thanks, Nell. I really appreciate it. It's been a great time talking with you as well. Yes. Was this conversation just not incredible? I absolutely loved the insights and the information that Dr. Hartman gave to us, how we can take little action steps to start to better our health right internally because holistic healing starts from what we put into our body, what we surround ourselves with, the stress, the lifestyle, the kinds of food that we're eating, the kinds of water we are drinking and just being really mindful about how we can start to better our health now and not wait until our health depends on it. So if you are interested in learning more about what Dr. Hartman does, you can go ahead and visit his website at Richmond, that's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D, functionalmedicine.com. That's Richmond RichmondFunctionalMedicine.com. I will link that in the show notes. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Go ahead and share this episode with a friend or even better, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you love this, I would truly appreciate that. And if you want to go ahead and even tag us on Instagram, you can go ahead and find me at Natalie Falco underscore veg fit, or you can tag us at proving it plant based. I hope you guys found this episode insightful and you learned a little bit and maybe you can share it with a friend or family member that you care about. All right. So until next time and until next week, you guys take care of your bodies. Take care of your minds. Do something good for yourself, for the environment and for your future. And I will talk to you soon.